Hello everyone and welcome to That Was Genius. This is a funny history podcast by Tom Berry and Sam Datta, exploring little known stories and corners of the past. We'll get to the history shortly, but first, a couple of minutes of what we ominously call, quote, witty banter, highlights of our pre-recording chat, which usually ends up being mostly toilet humour. Um, why have I got two of these on this diddly-wop? As the uh, famous hip-hop song goes. Diddly-wop, diddly-wop, bow, shikapapapow. Two of these on my diddly-wop. Sounds like a, sounds like an Australian magician. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which, how good was the improvised uh, ma- pulling handkerchiefs out your ass magic show section from the last Patreon episode? <laughs> Beautiful. It, uh, very, that was genius. Vulgar, very us. spontaneous, stupid, 80s British TV <laughs> references. Had everything. Yep. <laughs> it did. It really did. It, it had it all. <laughs> It had it all. It had it all. It wanted it now, and and it set me up nicely for my uh, doodle. Did it? I haven't seen your doodle yet. Well, no, I, that, that that will be the doodle. I don't have to worry about thinking of anything else. Yeah. Yes. Well. Yes. It's just shitty, shitty handkerchiefs and a pocket watch. It is exactly. That's what it's going to be. Oh, that's a much better episode title. <laughs> what did you say? Shitty, shitty handkerchiefs and a pocket watch. Fifty shitty handkerchiefs and a pocket watch. <laughs> that sounds like a really bad erotic book, doesn't it? Ah, oh, in the unlikely event this makes the cut, audience, become a patron and you can hear it. Good promo. <laughs> Sleek. Yes. <laughs> that was <laughs> patreon.com slash that was genius, where for just three, four or five pounds a month or equivalent in your local currency, you get exclusive episodes, doodles like what Tom was just talking about and what, uh, what, what and, like. uh, and some songs and medals as well. That's right, songs and medals. Gloss over them, like they're not the most important part. The people, do you, um, can you find out how many people actually download them? What I've done, Tom, is I've set up some kind of artificial intelligence photo scanner. Nice. Which I plugged into Facebook. I just nice. said, look at Facebook. And it's basically scanned through and identified. You know how it can tell whose face is whose in Facebook? I've just put our medals into it, found every single photo on Facebook of, of people wearing the medals out and about. Wow, and how many of them are there? Millions, uh, oh. probably. <laughs> Yeah, we were, I mean, they've been handed out like candies. Prince Philip had all three on. Yeah, 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 when he died. <laughs> and and will and will do at the funeral, yes. <laughs> it was trying to pin the last one on that did for him. Bless him. Very good. Yes, yes. What, did you get any photos of any Order of the Bathroom socials that have been going on that we haven't been invited to? Oh, let me think, let me think. Um, the bowling? None I, since... I heard they went bowling. <laughs> I was going to say, none since Epstein was arrested. <laughs> yeah, of course, there was the... That was genius bowlerama. Yeah, that we didn't get invited yeah. to. The hustle in the hippodrome. Yeah, as the uh, as the grand final was called, <laughs> grand finale. Hippodrome, nice. That's going to link in with what I'm <laughs> yeah. going to discuss this week. I I believe it is. Yeah, I've got a vague idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Laser Quest. They went to Laser Quest, didn't they? They did indeed. Again, yeah. we weren't invited. Probably for the best. There was that blinding incident last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no one shot anyone with a laser gun, uh, but Tom just attacked them with a spoon. It was awful. What was it? And it's. <laughs> I really do quite like the uh, the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Dig your eye out with a spoon. I don't know what that was. No, nothing like him. Anyway. I was like Alan Rickman having a poo. <laughs> but that's dig actually what I was trying to do. I'll dig that poo out with a spoon. <laughs> Smelly. Plopper. <laughs> Alan Rickman's low-fibre diet. <laughs> 
Expelliarmus. <laughs> this <is> Mr. Porcelain. <laughs> Dobby, get you over here. I knew that I'd find a use for those long, spindly fingers of yours. <laughs> I've got a turtle headwig touching cloth. <laughs> touching broomstick. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry, it was just a snitch. <laughs> <laughs> Empty the chamber of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello. And Sam, who's never read Harry Potter uh, and likes it that way, discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme a week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. And what is this week's theme, Tom? theme is Wacky Races, and uh, we had a message from Michael to say it wasn't actually his in- his, his idea. Oh, no, was it? No, it was his idea, but hit cartoons wasn't his idea, which was our last public episode, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Well, yes. Yeah. Sorry to whoever's idea cartoons was. Anyway. Um, that was my but point. Michael, we're doing wacky races for you this week. Yeah, and um, I may as well quickly do the audience feedback, eh? Because I've already started. Go on then. Connor had Why a not? couple of good suggestions. Thanks for that, Connor. We put those on the list. He did. And slippery situations and funniest badassery. Yes, I think we've done badasses before, haven't we? Yeah, but we Possibly. could do we could do funny badasses. I'm sure we could. We could do funny badasses. Yeah, we could do something. Uh, and we could do slippery situations. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, it does. Does. And then also within the last hour or so, Lisa joined the order of the bathroom. So thank you, Lisa, for joining. She did. Thank you, Lisa. I've uh, I've put some room spray in there. Yeah. Uh, do use it before you leave. They're there. You shouldn't put them in your ears, though. Everyone knows no, that. No, nothing nothing larger than your elbow should that's go right, in your ear. Yeah, that's I right. I mean, God only knows what Q-tips are actually for, if not for uh, sticking into your ears. Same with Jimmy White. I mean, what is he for? I just, I'd pay him to put things in my ears. Yes, um, well, likewise, likewise Prince Philip. Yeah. <laughs> Silky soft racist platitudes. Right, should we crack on? Because this is going. Where the fuck is that going? What I was trying to do is say something so outlandish that it stopped us in our tracks and forced us to carry on with an effing history podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Which seems like it's getting further and further away. You you carry on. So we're on wacky races this week. Wacky We're on Wacky races. races this week. Thank you, by the way, audience, for your feedback and financial support. You can join us at patreon.com slash order of the bath. Uh, yes, how did you find this week, Tom? Uh, this week was uh, easy peasy. I've done a reasonably well-known topic when you Google it, uh, but a good topic and one that was worth doing again in our own unique little way. How about you? I've had a couple of, of really good ones, actually. I'm happy. I'm happy this week. But we have an honourable mention, Tom, before... Uh, well, it's not even an honourable mention. We have a guest this week. We have guest podcasters. Would you ruddy Adam and Eve it? Sorry, sorry. I, was, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to be shutting up and, and leaving a pause. <laughs> no, you were supposed you to-, to be saying... Ooh, yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, okay. Ooh, yes. This is Fantastic. The, the conversation this... flows. We're only 100 episodes in, and, you're, <laughs> and we're just about getting the hang of this. This is the Silly History Boys podcast, isn't it? That we starred. I think the, I think the word starred is appropriate. We starred in one of their episodes recently, didn't we? Start, start out, yes. <laughs> I can't help but feel like the members of that podcast are more used to acting than I am, certainly. <laughs> yes. It was our first scripted part. We played some pirates and we played the Serious History Boys podcast on their podcast, which is great, by the way, and is available on all podcast apps of your choice. Uh, just search for the City History Boys. By the way, I've also been uh, asked slash told that I'm contractually obliged to say that they're incredibly handsome, which obviously is essential is in right? all good audio-only podcasts. <laughs> 
So, uh, yes, do go check them out. It was an absolute pleasure to be on their podcast. It's a really good, fun history podcast. It is, as it says on the tin, very silly. Lots of silly accents and voices. A bit like us, really, only they're slightly more prepared. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a script. It's like a scripted dramery type thing, isn't it? It's quite interesting. A unique approach. I liked it. I really liked it. It was a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to listen to. So do go and check them out. Uh, and they've done an honourable mention for us this week, Tom. Are we supposed to? Is that a gap? Am I supposed to leave a gap there again? Yes, they've done. They've done an. On, yes, this is the kind of preparation which the silly history boys. <laughs> when am I supposed to leave the gap? Don't have an issue Just with. Cue me in. Okay. I will. It's a, it's a very obvious cue in. With the horn. Oh, yes. <laughs> please. And I'll, I'll sound the klaxon. Yeah. So uh, they've got an honourable mention for us this week, and it is Tom, the Great Wisconsin Race of eighteen seventy-eight. Oh, that sounds great. Oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Uh, It's the first ever race between two traction engines, and it is, in fact, the competition that spawned the traction engines. And here are the Silly History Boys to take you through that moment, a visceral examination of the excitement of that race. The year is 1875, and what a time to be alive! The government of the great state of Wisconsin, impressed by recent technologies in the newfangled steam locomotive and steam automobile, have decided to sponsor a grand prize for the person to create a steam-powered replacement for the useless and outdated horse. Because why use something which just sort of grows around these parts and is powered by grass, when you can build something out of metal which uses coal? It's the future, I tells you. The future. Hello there. I'm the governor of Wisconsin, William Robert Taylor. Now those native to Wisconsin might notice my accent is a little off. It's not poor casting. It's because the state has only existed for 30 years, so we haven't quite worked out how we want to sound yet. We're leaning towards unconvincing at the moment. Anyway, I'm offering $10,000, $240,000 in 2020 money to let me read the wording here, Any citizen of Wisconsin who shall invent and after five years continued trial and use shall produce a machine propelled by steam or other motive agent, which shall be a cheap and practical substitute for the use of horses and other animals on the highway and farm. What do you mean five years continued service? That doesn't make any sense. Doing what? Sitting there? Boiling eggs? Can it ever be turned off? What if it gets tired? What if it needs to refuel? I don't think you've thought this through. Fine, fine. I'll just cross that bit out and send it back to the Senate. They should sign off on it again and let me check my watch. Three years. Ugh. The year is 1878, and what a time to be alive. The government of Wisconsin- You don't have to redo it. We can fix in the edit. But we have added an extra rule. A race. You'll love this. It's very exciting. To claim the prize, the law demands contestants compete a 200-mile route at not less than 5 miles per hour average speed. Now that's entertainment. We've also set a series of cunning challenges to test them on routes, including pulling things across boggy ground and, well, actually mostly just pulling things. It's going to be a long wait for TV to be invented. Just get on with it. The contestants are here. We've got, uh, two. There were going to be four, but one never made it out of the workshop before breaking down, and one got about halfway to the start line in the town of Green Bay before, um, breaking down. But one of the machines that has made it to the start line is actually from Green Bay itself, so that's something. 
So only one tractor has actually been driven to the start. This doesn't promise much, but I'm a professional sports commentator, so with overacted excitement, what a machine it is, and what a race this will be! Let's meet the competitors. Contestant number one, what's your name, and where do you come from? Why, howdy there! I'm Alexander Gallinger from Oskoosh, Wisconsin, with the originally named Oskoosh, Wisconsin Steam Tractor. You might be questioning why I sound nothing like the other people from Wisconsin, and that's because this is a regional accent. Now, the five men behind me here who ain't allowed to talk due to production and budget restrictions are a crack team of boilermakers and farm equipment manufacturers. I, myself, am a lumberman, always worked with wood and always knew I would. In fact, by fulfilling my lifelong dream of owning several lumber forests, you could say I always would ward wood. You could say it. But after several takes. And this here is our beautiful machine. Weighing in 2.2 tons. She might look a bit mad, Max, but don't let the fact that she appears to be a giant wooden cart made of garden fence and chimneys deceive you, because that is exactly what it is. But it'll get the job done, you'll see, by hook or indeed by crook. Aha! And what do we have here? Contestant number two, what's your name and where do you come from? Well, hello there. I'm Edward P. Cowles from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, I've travelled around a bit. This is a regional accent, so don't pin nothing on me. <laughs> this has been my magnum opus, my masterpiece, my, my Mona Lisa, my library of Alexandria, my large hadron collider rolled into one. Behold, the Green Bay Steam Tractor. It may look a bit like an explosion in the Cuckoo Clock Factory, but in fact, several newspapers at the time commented that it had so many pistons and rods poking out here, there, and everywhere that half of them couldn't possibly do anything at all. But I can assure you, this is a finely tuned machine, and poised like a ballerina at only six and a half tons. A chunky ballerina, but okay. Oh look, here comes the race starter. On your marks, get set, very slowly, go, go, go! And they're off, it's neck and neck. But who's this coming up from behind? Oh, it's a geriatric with a walker who swoops around the outside and yes, that snail is edging in too. This really is a four-way race. Just an hour in, they all reach the end of the road. I think we need a jump cut. Well, this is lovely. Just pootling along, watching the world go by, with regular stops to enjoy the view and suffer repeated catastrophic breakdowns. Granted, it was frustrating after the first three or four times, but the fact that the race organizers kindly put me on a train and carried me halfway down the course rather than disqualifying me really put me back on track. <laughs> Now I can just sit here and watch the world very slowly roll by, whilst the Oshkosh catches up. <laughs> Speaking of which, what is that I hear? Oh, God darn it, that Green Bay machine is dead ahead! How did that happen? 
Why, we've been thundering along flawlessly at the breakneck speed of six miles an hour all day. Well, he won't get away. Put the hammer down, boys! Put it down! Let's go! I have that need! That need is for speed! Is that wise? Surely if the Oshkosh goes any faster, the crew will go mad, cow's milk will spoil as they pass, and ladies will faint with excitement. Don't listen to him! More power, damn ye! Yes! Come on! Give it to me! Give it to me! Six! Seven! Oh! Seven point five! Eight! Yes! Eight miles an hour! We're flying, I tell you! Flying! She can take it, Captain. And what's that? A small pothole approaching at huge speed. Swerve! Oh! Oh, no, no, no! Yes, that's right. In a foolish and very low-speed overtaking maneuver, the Oshkosh has suffered its only breakdown of the entire trip, snapping off a wheel. Not to worry, though. They've got plenty of time to get back on their feet as the Green Bay has broken down again. We'll take a short several-hour break and meet you for the haulage challenge. Not only has my amazing traction engine performed flawlessly, apart from just over 100 catastrophic breakdowns, yes, really, over 100 in the space of a few hours, but it's sure to be a hit with the haulage challenge, with all its extra weight. <laughs> Behold, a steep, muddy hill. At the bottom, trails filled with as many burly men as we can find to go and add extra weight and a sense of jeopardy, of course. Why, this'll be a cakewalk. Hitch up and off we go. Easy work. Yes, you see, this is where building a sports tractor wasn't such a great idea, you see. I know we won't be able to get up that hill with our lightweight, but I have an idea. Rather than tell you about it myself, I'll read a quote out from a newspaper interview that I'll probably do some years in the future. Mmm, matter. They had nine wagons lined up which they wanted us to pull up a grade. There were men in the wagons. I looked at the grade and I knew I'd never make it. The pull was on an inch rope. I started the machine real fast to bust the rope. I busted it, tied it on again, busted it again. Then I told those men that they'd better walk up since the rope wouldn't take it and then started real slow so the rope wouldn't part and it made it all right with the empty wagons. Those men figured they walked because of a weak rope and not because of a weak engine. Ha! <laughs> you see, I'm a crafty man, Mr. Gallinger, sir. What in tarnation? Just 33 hours after setting off and covering the 200 miles almost flawlessly, it's the Oshkosh sports tractor coming over the hill to claim victory and their 10,000 prize. No fair. No fair? What do you mean? Apart from the cheating, obviously. But we won't know about that for several years. I wanted the Green Bay machine to win. It was prettier and bigger. It was useless. Being good at your job isn't everything, you know. Look at me. Governor of a state, and I can't even speak like the locals. Besides, what the heck is anyone gonna do with an overpowered sports tractor? As if such a stupid idea would ever take off here in the good old US of A. Right, fair point. So, what are you gonna do? Well, 
how about this, which is bound to make everyone happy? I'll refuse to pay, get the Oshkosh team to take me to court, and then change the law so the prize is only $5,000, and they have to give 1000 of that to the losers. The winners have to pay the losers? Consider it a tip. I'm sure this won't result in everyone involved going out of business or anything like that. But even if it does, the real winner here is science. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. You can't just say they all lived happily ever after and end the peace. There were bankruptcies, lives were ruined. Oh, oh whatever, we're out of time anyway. <clears throat> well, folks, you heard it here first. The race of the century in which the real winner was science and everyone else was treated entirely fairly. They'll be talking about this one for years to come. Now, back to you in the studio. We're back in the room. Thank you very much for the silly history, boys. That was uh, that was absolutely fantastic and very well written as well. If I do say so myself, <coughs> I wrote the script. Uh, <laughs> but you can check out the silly history boys on all good podcasting apps of your choice. Do go give them a listen. Right, who's time is it to go first this week, Tom? I have a suspicion it's yours. I've gone first the last two times, I think. Uh, I think you. I, yes, you have. I think this week I'm looking at one of the first ever. Long-distance off-road rallies. It truly was this, a, a proper wacky race. Partly because it was insanely dangerous and insanely expensive to take part in, and partly because it was dominated by two absolutely ridiculous caricatures of drivers. Two characters who very much could have been in wacky races. <laughs> that was my attempt at Muttley. I thought that was your attempt at Rolf Harris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him asthmatically wobble-boarding. <laughs> Wobbleboarding after a 20-day smoking habit for, uh, yes. Now I'm going to be doing the 1907 Peking to Paris rally today, Tom, and that is not to be confused, absolutely not to be confused, with the 1908 New York to Paris rally, which uh, has been covered by a couple of other little-known history podcasts over the years, like those small-time losers over at the dollop. No, I'm doing the one that was a year earlier, <laughs> and therefore, therefore better. Therefore better, yes, exactly. Therefore we better. We got there first, even though we got the second. Yes. So this was an insane drive for 1907. 15, More insane 000- than covering, covering the Atlantic, like the New York to Paris one. They took a boat. That's fucking stupid, isn't it? Yes. And to be fair, it was only across the Bering Strait. So it was from Alaska to uh, Vladivostok, I think, in Russia. But they did take a boat. Oh, they went the other way round. Oh, I see. They did. They went the long way. Yeah, they didn't just take drive to New York and take a boat. Well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I think the La majority Havre. of that journey is a boat. It's, it's only, really it's a only boat about sixty race. miles. <laughs> it is. It's largely a boat race. <laughs> so this was fifteen thousand kilometers. The nineteen oh seven Peking to Paris across parts of the world which had never even seen a car before. Some of which didn't have roads. None of which would have a petrol station for decades. And to put into context what a challenge this was to get across fifteen thousand kilometers with no petrol. These cars at the time used about a quarter of a litre of fuel per kilometre, which means they would need to source and carry 3,750 litres of fuel for the race in parts of the world that had never even heard of petrol. The race challenge was issued by a group of daredevils and auto industry businessmen who wanted to prove that the still fairly newfangled motor car was a go-anywhere, do-anything kind of machine. To that end, they issued a challenge in January 1907 in French newspaper Le Matin, or The Morning, stating, What needs to be proved today, sorry, uh, uh, French accent, what uh, needs to be proved today is that as long as a man has a car, he can do anything and go anywhere. 
Is there anyone who will undertake to travel this summer from Peking to Paris by automobile? As long as a man has a car, he can go anywhere and do anything. I mean, that's true, because cars were fucking expensive. So you could probably just have afforded to, you know, hire a man to carry you there. Uh, but yes, there bloody well was, Tom. There bloody well was someone who was willing to take that drive. 40 entrants, in fact, signed up for the race, paying over 2,000 francs each for the entrance fee. Bear in mind that, by and large, these were very, very, very rich people. Cars, as I said, were expensive. Fuel was doubly so. And spending six months shipping them out to China and driving them back was very much a leisure activity. Wouldn't it be funny if they had to drive them there? <laughs> that Yes, I mean, it would almost have defeated the point. <laughs> How did they get them there? They shipped them or did they, they just put them on, train? They put them on a boat. <laughs> they put them on a boat. Got you. It's an exciting detail. I'm yep. glad I asked for. Yeah, there's a reason I left it out to my notes. Uh <laughs> So these were a group of very, very, very posh men by and large, and none was posher than the man who would eventually win, Scipione Borghese, another member of the Borghese family. We've talked about them in this podcast Mm. before. The 10th Prince of Sulmona. He was classic Italian aristocracy, i.e. he was stinking rich with fuck all to do. He whirled away his time as a daredevil, motor racer, explorer, mountaineer, author, politician, civil engineer and successful diplomat as and when it suited him, and had already travelled from Beirut to the Pacific Ocean on horse and on foot, just for shits and giggles. In true Wacky Races-esque caricature of a posh public schoolboy, despite being a daredevil and car racer, he didn't actually really drive Tom. In fact, he had a chauffeur who did it all for him and he just sat in the back. That's all right, isn't it? A little bit like the horse thing he did. The horse did all the work, he just sat in the back. The horse did most of the work, yes. Yeah. Just sat there scratching his ass and eating champagne. <laughs> yeah. Eating champagne? Drinking champagne. <laughs> no, eating it. <laughs> I like to eat my champagne. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Get me some champagne. Crispy, crispy, crispy. <laughs> yes. So, yes, he basically just pootled around in the back looking all regal and waving whilst his suited and booted chauffeur with white gloves on did all the hard work. <laughs> nice say, old boy. Put the pedal to the metal, will you? Looks awfully like they're catching up back there. Don't make me whip you, Parker. <laughs> damn it, man. Corner fast, but not too fast. I damn near dropped my oysters. Oh, uh, but if... God, that would make your road sick, wouldn't it? Eating oysters. Oh, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Eating oysters on a racetrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or even worse, on, on not on road. Off-road <laughs> yeah. oyster eating. Oh, lovely. Now there's a niche sport. <laughs> that's like... That's the special version of Mario Kart you can only get if you go to Eaton. They don't throw turtles off the back. They throw oyster oysters. shells. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but if Borghese was stinking rich, his great competition, a guy called Charles Godard, was quite literally just stinking. <laughs> Whilst most of the entrants into this rally were very, very, very rich, Godard was a petty Godard was a petty criminal and circus performer on the run from various debt collectors and on the lookout <laughs> for adventure. Brilliant. What a <laughs> What a guy. He rocked up to, literally a circus performer. He rocked up to the uh, race office in Paris, covered in oil and stinking of fumes, having won the entrance fee by riding the Wall of Death at a circus that was passing through town. Now, do, you know, do you know the Wall of Death, Tom? Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Is it like the Slippery Pole? That's uh, No, that's a strip club just outside Basingstoke. <laughs> oh, God, strip club just outside Basingstoke. Oh um, yes. <laughs> so you said he he turned up covered in oil. I'm the so sexual allure of a commuter town. <laughs> uh, well, engine oil, engine oil, yes. Right. Okay. I was assuming he'd had to 
climb a wall covered in grease, you know? Sounds like a... Yes, it is. No, it's a real thing. Climbing the greasy pole is not yeah. a euphemism. It is a genuine countryside sport in in our part of the world where we both come from. Uh, but yeah, the Wall of Death is essentially uh, a, a wooden washing machine drum, oh, a giant yes, 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 on a motorbike. Ring. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And you do it on motorbikes. Yes, Yeah, yeah absolutely. I know Sorry, I'm with you. Yeah. So he'd won his entrance fee for the competition, uh, basically taking bets on the wall of on the wall of death because it looks very much like you're going to die. It's actually a very safe thing to do because the centrifugal force pushes you outwards and and uh, and it's all very very safe as long as you go fast. If you slow down, you'll fall and break your neck. Yeah, and if you, go quick, and you need fine. to be on a motorbike. A scooter won't or roller skates it won't work. Much harder. Well, you actually. Much harder. I think there is a video of someone having done it on a bicycle. I think you can wall of death on a bicycle. That's quite impressive. Yeah. Chris Hoy. Yes. Just massive thighs taking up half the wall of death. Goddard was quite the con man and unperturbed by the fact he didn't have a car, but armed with stories of fame and fortune for the machines which finished the race, we made legendary by doing this, he managed to convince the struggling Dutch Spiker auto manufacturer not only to lend him a car but also to lend him the entrance fee, uh, which he had no intention of paying back. He just stole it. Uh, a mountain of spare parts, which he immediately sold on the black market to pay for his passage to Peking. <laughs> <laughs> and the promise of 10,000 francs if the car finished the race. <laughs> Waltzed into the office of this car factory and said, I'm going to make you famous. And they said, OK. <laughs> We're not going to question you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why would we? You've got a trustworthy we face. You're very trusting. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little bit wee, a little bit well, I am a gizer. <laughs> Basically, he sold all of the spares, but that only paid for his passage to China. By the time he arrived, he had absolutely nothing left in the way of cash, and he had no spare parts to actually complete the race with. Whilst the other competitors, including Borghese, busied themselves with sightseeing and preparing for the race, Goddard camped outside the Dutch embassy, begging them to lend him money for the trip using forged credit notes from Spiker. Oh, the naughty little person. Naughty little boy, yes. Not only had the guy lent him <laughs> a car, promised him 10,000 francs if he finished, and a mountain of spare parts, he then went on and committed identity fraud on his what behalf. He's a horrible little man. I know, right? But that 5,000 francs that he managed to weasel out of the Dutch embassy was enough to get him just halfway across China, only about 20% of the drive. This is how bloody expensive this was. He spent most of the rally once he'd run out of cash, begging, borrowing, and quite often stealing just enough fuel and food from the other races and whoever he was passing by to keep himself going. Incidentally, speaking of the other races, only five of the 40 entrants even made it to the start line. The organisers actually called off the race and went home, so few showed up. But the five who actually rocked up decided to plough on regardless. There was Borghese, the prince, Gadard, the pauper, a, a Contal cycle car driven by a French guy called Auguste Pont, uh, sorry, uh, Borghese was in an Italia. <laughs> August Pont. August Respectable Pont. apple. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As opposed to August Pong, the noble fart. <laughs> but Pom is apple. Pom, Pom is an apple. Yeah, Pom well, is yeah, apple, okay. yeah. Good. Oh, my joke yeah. worked. Carry on. It did. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, there were two two Dédion cars driven by Frenchman Georges Comier and Victor Collignon. Victor Collignon. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> which, which incidentally was the sound of the suspension. Victor That was the sound of it running out of fuel, <laughs> grinding <laughs> to a halt. 
Um, each driver, except of course for Goddard, who had no cash, paid for a train of camels to go on ahead and set up camps with fuel and supplies Hold along on. the way. Hold on. Are camels capable of setting up a camp? Oh, well, are they, they were, are they they were, skilled uh, well, yes, enough? yes, they're very obedient. Do they have they're very, thumbs? very obedient. <laughs> uh, they don't really need opposable thumbs, they just have the stuff on their back and lie down. Right, they're like, they're, they're like those modern tents that just pop up. So all the camels have to do is yes, absolutely, just throw yeah. them off their back. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah, much now. like in Disney's Aladdin, they just kind of roll the tent off the back and and it pops up and there's a, a little a little stall. Got you. <laughs> they had people. So yes, on the 16th of May, the group set off. The idea was that the drivers would follow telegraph wires across Asia, partly as a vague map and partly because the race had attracted huge amounts of press attention. So each driver was assigned a journalist passenger who would send reports from each telegraph station along the way. You really wanted to get the prince's car in this situation. Day five. <laughs> Traveling I had up... oyster vomited <laughs> yes. all over me three times. <laughs> yes. And champagne We're almost jelly out of champagne. poured on my lap. <laughs> the prince keeps whipping his, his chauffeur. The butler's gone off to get more caviar. And the camels are struggling to put up the tents. <laughs> Asia, Asia really is hell. <laughs> yes, I imagine comparatively getting lumbered with French geezer Goddard being forced to steal chickens from farms to survive. <laughs> you know, wearing trousers held up with baler twine, <laughs> running from the law, stealing cooling pies from farmers' windows. <laughs> it was probably... <laughs> Probably, probably not quite the uh, not quite the same travel experience. More authentic, maybe. <laughs> it was you know backpacking compared to taking the Orient Express. <laughs> so the races agreed uh, a gentleman's agreement to stay together through the most treacherous parts of the journey for safety, knowing that if one of them broke down in the desert or the mountains alone, it would mean certain death. They would then sprint the last few hundred miles through Europe once they reached the Austro-Hungarian Empire's borders. But Borghese. <laughs> The, uh, the gentlemanly prince, uh, apparently got bored of trundling along with all these paupers and fucked off into the distances in his Italia automobile almost immediately as soon as anyone started getting into trouble. Of course you would. Kicking up a spray of champagne bubbles and caviar in the dust behind him. <laughs> Top hat left floating in the breeze. <laughs> Toodle pip wankers. <laughs> C.S. August Pont in the Contal three-wheel car got into trouble first, just eight days into the trip. Essentially, the Contal was just an overly elaborate decorative bathtub with a lawnmower engine. It drank fuel, it bogged down, and almost immediately got stuck. Goddard, in a fine display of this uh, stereotype that those with nothing are usually the most generous, gave them some of his stolen fuel, <laughs> fuel he'd stolen off them in the first place. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What food? <laughs> I'm a little bit wee, a little bit wee. There you go. You can, uh, have this, them... you can have this part of your engine back. Oh, um, part <laughs> yeah. of your engine. Sorry, part of your engine. Oh, I'm feeling generous. Yeah. You can have your wheels. <laughs> <laughs> you can have them back. I don't need them anymore. Uh, so he gave them what food he could and actually unloaded their car and put as much of their the weight of their car into his car as he could. So he was actually, he was, considering he was a con man and a cheat and a bastard, he wasn't going to let someone die in the desert. He had some morals. Uh, but unfortunately, one night the Contal broke down without anyone else noticing. The next morning, the Prince Borghese roared past, telling everyone Pont was absolutely fine and still on the move. Uh, Borghese was lying, oh, but he just didn't want to stop and help. <laughs> the sneaky little bastard. Italian bastard. A fine example of the equally common stereotype that the ones who can afford to give the most actually, in fact, give the fewest fucks. <laughs> Kicking his chauffeur up the arse. 
whilst they disappeared off into the distance. Uh, the Contal crew were, were lost. They weren't able to find them on the journey. They got lost overnight before breaking down. And the crew ended up being found by nomads over a week later, passed out in the desert sun next to their car, almost dead from dehydration. So it's pure luck that these guys actually got found and survived. Uh, having given the Contal... I know... Having given the Contel most of his fuel, Goddard himself pretty quickly ran out, with the other drivers lending him just eight litres, which was enough for 20 miles, before pissing off two, promising to send more back from the next town, which was 120 miles away. Obviously, Tom, because they were rich, they never came back. <laughs> and uh, Goddard and his unfortunate journalist, a guy called Jean Dutallet, had two litres of water, a few blocks of solid soup, which couldn't be eaten because they had no fuel for the stove, a single rotten chicken and a block of chocolate <laughs> to survive on, which in 47 degree desert heat was both an unwise investment and utterly useless. It was basically boiled chocolate. Surely the soup would have melted though, wouldn't it? Uh, you'd think that, but apparently not. <laughs> apparently, the Gobi Desert temperatures lie somewhere between uh, boiling chocolate and molten soup. <laughs> After two days, they got so desperate that they drank the car's radiator water. Dutelle got immediately very, very ill and nearly died of dysentery, and realising that they would actually die very, very quickly if nothing was done, Goddard walked off into the desert. Incredibly, within two hours, in the middle of fucking nowhere, he rocked back up at the car with an entire company of nomadic warriors on horseback. He'd basically gone off and found an entire herd of Mongol horsemen and just rocked up with a hundred men on horses. He'd convinced half of them to ride off to the nearest town to bring back a full load of fuel. So he convinced half these people to ride 100 miles there and, and 100 miles back to bring him fuel. And the others he convinced to use their horses to tow his car as far as they could. Oh, you would, though. It was quite the chat. It's quite fun, isn't it? You probably, if you're a Mongol horseman, it's probably quite boring. I know. But considering, like, Goddard was a... French pauper, a travelling circusman, he managed to somehow communicate with a load of Mongolian horsemen. Or did he? Horsemen. Or did he just do some of his circus acts and impress them? Maybe he did. Maybe he just pulled fifty shitty handkerchiefs out of his ass. Yeah. Reference to last week's Patreon or episode. Ba balanced the sheep on his chin. <laughs> yes, and they were like, "Wow, wow, we were." <laughs> I want to see more of this. <laughs> two sheep, two sheep, two sheep. Okay. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> Add a yurt. Oh, Add a yurt. Put a yurt on. Put a yurt on. Right. <laughs> no, absolutely incredible. They could have died in the desert within two hours. He managed to find hundred nomadic horsemen. They just they were there all the time. They were just over the next sand dune. <laughs> They'd been there, just sat, kind of chewing on the side of a block of soup soap, <laughs> drinking boiled chocolate, drinking oil out of the car and water bad, out the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> and just over the next berm, there was an entire <laughs> entire town having a lovely party. <laughs> desperate, just desperate for a block of soup soap. Just yeah, all they wanted was a block of minestrone soap. <laughs> use the use the crouton side for scouring. We are not use it on the pots and pans. We are not going to help you, you strange foreigner in our country. But I have soup soap. <laughs> you have what? <laughs> I have soup soap. <laughs> well, why didn't you tell <laughs> <Yes>. us? <laughs> How many horsemen do you need? Once they finally reached the town and stocked up on fuel, the pair drove for 23 hours straight to catch up with the uh, two drivers who'd abandoned them. Shortly after that, when they reached Irkutsk in south-central Russia, the spiker broke down again, puncturing the rear axle, which lost all its oil. Goddard patched it up by filling it with bacon. Nice. <laughs> Bit of a waste. What a, I, 
I know. Yeah, I mean, but, surely there was something better you could patch it up with. Then, <laughs> I don't know. What do? What have we got? We have champagne. We have oysters. We have. Uh, oh fuck! I've got no spare parts. <laughs> I have bacon. We have bacon. Everything tastes better with bacon, though, doesn't it? So I bet that car was delicious. I would have eaten the car. Oh, oh, can you imagine though the smell? Oh, the smell oh, of driving across the countryside yeah, yeah, yeah. with hot bacon roasting under the car, the wafting mm. up from between your legs. Oh. Ah, oh, delightful, yeah. Grate some cheese over the engine as well. Grate some cheese on the bonnet. Ooh, that waft of absolutely. sizzling cheese. Egg on the bonnet. <laughs> Potato waffles on the windscreen. <laughs> mm -mm. Got yourself a breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, you drove, drove on with a car made of bacon. Uh, yeah, which is a fair, fair genius solution. That's a good film, that. A, <laughs> a car that? made of bacon, it's a good film. Okay, yes. <laughs> I think it stars Marlon yes, Brando, doesn't it? sequel to a streetcar named Desire. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, also shortly followed by a submarine made of Easter eggs. <laughs> Odd film. Uh, so, yes, yeah, shortly after this, the gearbox broke as well, and having sold the spare parts back in Paris, Goddard was unfortunately fucked and forced to telegram Amsterdam and demand Spiker send a mechanic with spares. Instead... Pop. They literally sent him the office coffee boy, <laughs> a teenager called Bruno Stephen, who they shipped across Siberia on the Trans-Siberian Railway to meet him. The other drivers, of course, fucked off again and left them. I brought some bacon. I bought a cheese toasty. If only there was some ham. <laughs> yeah. Can you fix it with this? I was a split. told to come it's here. Half a spliff. <laughs> I was told to come here and help yes. you fix this. But I left the toolbox at home. I mean, ahead of an adventure for Bruno Stephen, the teenage office boy, who just woke up one morning and got shipped off to Moscow. Desperate to keep going, Goddard conned a Siberian technical college 1,500 miles away, God knows how he even found out about it, into paying for the car to be shipped to them by train, have them repair it, and then to avoid being disqualified, have them ship it back and towed several miles several weeks later to the exact spot it had broken down. Right. Now so we want our soup after breaking soap. Down. <laughs> We've done what we yes. agreed to do. <laughs> now give us our soup soap. Absolutely, definitely some boiled chocolate and soup soap. <laughs> <laughs> Enough for the whole department, please. We're a little bit wee, a little bit wee. Bye bye. <laughs> See you, wankers. <laughs> no soup soap for you. It's all for us. <laughs> Pottering off into the distance at five miles an hour. <laughs> Sm smelling, smelling of soup. <laughs> smelling of, smelling of soup. By now, very old, crispy bacon. <laughs> so, despite the fact that the other drivers had left them twice now to essentially their fate, once they found out that the car had been shipped to a Siberian technical college for repairs and then shipped back again, they telegrammed Paris, telegraphed Paris, to try and get Goddard disqualified for cheating. The absolute pricks. We're going to stop you from carrying on. How? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How are you going to stop yeah. me from carrying on? How are you going to come in? In this race that's been cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> in which you've left me to die twice. In which, in which there is no route. <laughs> in which there is no route. There's an A and a B. How are you going to find me? <laughs> to be honest, we're just very pissed off because our pocket watches, all of our booze, most of our fuel, our wheels have all been stolen. And... What? Not me, Governor. Not me. all of our soup soap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> completely disappeared. We've got nothing for lunch. <laughs> Nope, absolutely. I haven't washed or eaten in days. <laughs> My armpits are beginning, beginning to not smell of French onion. <laughs> so uh, since, since the coffee boy Bruno couldn't drive, I've only got a provisional licence. <laughs> Goddard then drove solo for 20 hours a day for two weeks across Siberia in order to catch up with the two Dédion cars. 
who were now a month ahead of him. So it took a month to fix the car. He made up the time in just two weeks. Amazingly, despite clearly being the better driver and having every right to fucking leave them in his dust, having left him for dead and then tried to get him disqualified for surviving... <laughs> He actually rejoined the convoy. Hello. Refusing to leave the two men alone. Uh, bonjour. It is a good hour. Fuck you. Uh, fuck. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> How many times must we sabotage your car? How many banana skins must we throw over our shoulder? <laughs> How many turtle shells must we launch at you? <laughs> Maybe that's how he caught up. <laughs> He just hit a mushroom, went yes. wham, 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 into a into a big car. <laughs> yeah. Fell fell off the side of Rainbow Road. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? It is, yeah. Ooh. Tricky one, Rainbow Road. <laughs> so uh, so whilst all this, all this was happening, Borghese had steamed absolutely miles ahead, uh, even having time to take a detour from Moscow to St. Petersburg, which even today is an overnight train journey, uh, to go and have a right royal cockney Russian czarist knees up. Uh, and get over his hangover and reach Paris a full two and a half weeks before everyone else on August 10th. Uh, Unsurprisingly, being European aristocracy, he had family in St. Petersburg. Whilst all this was happening, the Dutch embassy in Beijing, uh, or sorry, Peking, had realised they'd been had by Goddard, who conned them out of 5,000 francs a couple of months earlier, and asked authorities in Paris to charge him with fraud, which they did. As soon as the cars reached Berlin, the police tried to arrest Goddard, at which point he seized control of the wheel and tried to flee in what is likely the world's first high-ish speed police chase. And I say, Tom, very specifically, high-ish. <laughs> he was arrested because the police could run nearly as fast as the car and, uh, and was replaced with another driver for the last leg of the race. But amazingly, he managed to escape the police. <laughs> he talked his way out of police hey, custody. How about uh, you let me go if I pick up one of these... Uh, Police dogs and balance it on that chin. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> yes. Up we go. Got him. Got him. Himmel. That is an entire Alsatian. <laughs> why is it? Why? Why is it French? Got him. Himmel. That is an entire Alsatian. He's nice. He two dogs. How does he do it? If you can do it with two dogs, we will let you go. Well, uh, watch this. <laughs> I will do it with four. <laughs> This is very impressive, Mein Gott! Yes, yes. We are of This thought was a wonderful experience. Don't do it again. That I will remember for the rest of my life, you may go. That's entertainment, folks. So, yes, he managed to talk his way out of police custody, made his way to Paris, taking the train and getting there several several days before the cars did. Um, and just eight miles outside Paris, he tried to hijack his own car. <laughs> he was like, no, fuck off, I'm finishing this race. I have done 14,992 kilometres of this race. Hey, you will not take the last eight off me. Uh, un- unfortunately, he was... <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still here. He was dragged away by police whilst shouting instructions to his old journalist companion and by now close friend Dutelet, on how to change gears so he could complete the rally. He was determined that someone who'd been in this car from the start would complete the rally. So he was dragged off shouting driving instructions. <laughs> Amazingly, again, he managed to talk his way out of his conviction. You see those horses you have? <laughs> <laughs> I will balance them on my nose. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> Okay, that is all very impressive. We like it when you <laughs> balance horses on your chin. You may go. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you are charged with fraud. Please hold your hand out to swear on the French constitution, because we don't have the Bible in France. Uh, I can do better than that. I can uh, juggle it. <laughs> I can uh, balance the judge and machine. <laughs> yes. Quick, prosecution lawyer, come over here. <laughs> Ready? Watch as I up onto a motorbike and drive around the walls of the circular courtroom. <laughs> hey, judge, I believe you had a gavel in your hand. Aha, where's it gone? Objection. Objection is balancing the witness on his chin. Objection. Yes. <laughs> I believe this counts as witness interference. <laughs> Objection overruled. I'm enjoying this. And also we have to let him go because he has just sold the bailiff in half. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, there we there we go, Tom. He uh, he managed to talk his way into the 1908 New York to Paris rally. Clearly a glutton for punishment, uh, but didn't finish that one. Unfortunately, he broke down along the way and, and, and couldn't fix his car and had to retire. But there we go. That's the end. I'm sorry, that was a bit of a marathon, and I do apologise, but it was a good That's story, right. and I wanted give to tell it. give a long episode, and I don't need to speak to my wife tonight. Um, I've, <laughs> I've chosen to talk about... She'll be relieved, if yes. anything. <laughs> I've chosen to talk about a famous Roman charioteer this week, diving headlong into my piece. Oh, a famous Roman charioteer diving headlong into your piece, you lucky oh, bastard. Say, <laughs> if you Google this guy, there are, there are countless shite website articles about him. Um, we all know the type of article, you know, 200 words of copied content from another web article, which in turn was copied from another crap web, web article. Um, none of the authors of these articles have bothered to do any research on anything around the topic or try to find the original source for this guy's story, which is very frustrating for me. And neither have we. Exactly. <laughs> um, I actually did find uh, the original source for this guy's story eventually, but it's quite hard to do. It's worth pointing out to listeners that you and I dedicate a lot of time to this podcast, don't we, Sam? But we barely make much money we out of it. We actually genuinely do. Um, thank you, though, to our uh, patrons. Um, we have lots of other things going on in our lives, so it really isn't very easy to get to a library and read proper books about topics. So we do rely heavily on credible no. internet content, of which there is actually a lot. And it's also a reason why we frequently focus our attention on the actual sources, because you can get a hold of them easily online, and then you're not relying on yes. someone else's bad interpretation of them. This is a reason. Uh, and also, analysing sources takes a lot of time. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I found it so irritating that there, there were hundreds of shitty articles clogging up my search results on Google. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, it's all right, because now, now there's a shitty podcast too. Oh, no, but I've, I, this is, we're better than that, Sam. I know we do, we do uh, put a lot of poo jokes into our podcasts, but, you know. We do. We work smart. hard for our poo we're jokes. We're pretty smart. Um, let me introduce Gaius Apulius Diocles. And the reason for his oh. fame on the internet is because of the dubious claim that he is the most well-paid sports star ever, earning, it is estimated, yes. ten times more than the likes of Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. Have you heard about this guy? I, do you know, I have heard of him. I think I briefly came across him in my research. And in fact, I... I did some maths. I did a sisters. I did a sisterses to dollar. Did you? How the hell did you do that? Conversion. Yes. The price of bread in the Roman Empire at various stages is quite well known, and so you can use yeah. the retail prices index, which is a measure of what things cost today. So it's not, a, and then you can extrapolate the price and the cost from that. So it's not an exact science, but you can essentially say what his equivalent worth was, what his purchasing power was back in the day. And what did what figure did you come out with? There you go. I haven't actually got it in my notes, but I think it was something like $30 million. More. Higher. In prize higher, money alone. 
Hi, it was hiya, it. Hiya, oh, hiya. go on then. You, you tell me. I'll, t- I'll tell. I'll tell the <laughs> listeners at the end. We'll leave that as a little teaser for the end. Uh, so let's start at the okay. very beginning. A very good place to start with the goddamn primary sources. In the dirtiest Ooh. little crevice of the internet, I discovered a translation of Diocles's funerary funerary monument. And according to one article I read by a classicist, so it was a good article, this was erected in Rome, according to another reliable <laughs> source, um, and it was a good source, this was found in the town of Palestrina, or the Roman Prinesti, which isn't far from Rome, but um, was directly connected by a, a road, yes. a Roman road in Roman times. Uh, so they could be referring to the same thing, I don't yes, know. Yes, a road which went to Rome, as the, as the old saying goes. Yes, all roads lead to Rome, yes. And I found a copy of they the do. original text in Latin. Lucky for me, I also found the translation. Oh, um, good. But not, you, you speak a bit of Latin, though, don't you? I, um, no. <laughs> I learned Latin to an A-level standard at university and then promptly forgot it. Um, although I do have a Latin dictionary right beside me now on my bookshelf. I've got a Latin dick beside me. It was knocked off a statue by some Victorian prudes. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought it from the gift shop at the British Museum. Replaced by a fig leaf. Yes. Wouldn't that be good if you could buy dicks from the British Museum? <laughs> it would. Um, but n- they are missing a trick with that. <laughs> yeah, cock in a snow dome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found a copy Beautiful. of the original Beautiful. text. <laughs> so Sorry, no, I found the translation. Also, but I, did, I didn't find a picture of the monument itself anywhere, unfortunately. Anyway, regardless, I'm fairly confident that this monument contains everything we know about Diocles. And I did have a good search through the Perseus website as well, where you can search through an enormous catalogue of classical mm. texts. And I found no reference to him. So I'm fairly confident... Everything we know about him is from this funerary monument. (laughs) Don't start that. What does this funerary monument tell us about Diocles? Well, good question, Sam. Tom, put your jumper back on. You're clearly cold. (laughs) Let's go through the text and explain things as they come up. Diocles was born in the Roman province of Lusitania on the east coast of the Iberian Peninsula. Not Portugal. Named, of course, after the ship. (laughs) Yeah. I believe it was the Lusitania that was sunk, bringing the US into World War One. Was it really? Into wonderful, wonderful knowledge. It was sunk by a U-boat. Wonderful knowledge you have there. We watched the World at War episode on U-boats a few a, a week or so ago. Very good. Things your wife does for love. <laughs> yeah. He died at the age of 42 years, 7 months and 23 days, but we're not told how. The monument then gives us a list of individuals who held consulships during his chariot, chariot career. And this information tells us that he first started racing in 122 AD, 122 AD. And later we are told that he drove four horse chariots for 24 years. So it's reasonably safe to assume that his career ran from 122 AD to 146 uh, AD. The reigns of Antoninus that is Pius. A, that's a long career. That is a, we will come on to that, yes. So that's the reigns of Antoninus Pius and Hadrian, I think. Or was it Trajan? Yeah, fair play. Dangerous job, as I'm sure you're about to, you're about to Incredibly mention. Incredibly dangerous job. In his early career, as we find out from this monument, he raced for the whites and the greens. But it would seem that for the majority of his career, he raced for the reds. Come on, you reds. Everyone hates the greens. They eat too many beans. Nobody likes the whites. They're a bunch of little shites. We like the reds. They've got the biggest heads. Woo! Go reds! <laughs> Um, Now is a good point to explain Roman chariot racing, I feel. The earliest written reference to a chariot race comes from what source, Sam? Piers Morgan's life stories. Close. (laughs) 
Uh, I don't know, Tom. The, I don't the know. The Iliad goes old as she can go. The Iliad. Oh. Um, where there's a race <laughs> held as part of the funeral of Patroclus. Patroclus. Uh, for those of you who don't know the Ooh. Iliad, it's the story of the Trojan the War. The father of chocolate. Pa- so, <laughs> the chocolate. So, yeah, there we go. See so what he did there. <laughs> it's a Latin grammar yes, joke. Yes, okay. <laughs> Someone who's never spoken Wonderful. Latin in his life. Um, <laughs> Clever wordplay. I've got I've got a good one for you coming up. Anyway, for those Go of you then. who don't know the Iliad, it's the story of the Trojan War. And Patroclus is Achilles' best bud. Am I pronouncing his... I think I am pronouncing his name right. It doesn't sound right when I say it out loud, but Patroclus, I've only ever read the Iliad. Not, not, not recited it in front of an audience. Anyway... Patroclus. 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 I think it's Patroclus. Patroclus. We'll go for. Anyway, whilst Achilles is throwing a tantrum and refusing to fight, uh, Patroclus borrows his armor, leads an attack against the Trojans, but gets killed by Hector. Achilles is well pissed off and eventually sorts Hector out good and proper. You there, Hector, you big oaf. Come over here and take what's coming to you. Oh, put a pie in it, Achilles, you big girl's blouse. Aren't you supposed to be sulking? Near, 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 near. I'm not fighting because I'm a terrible boar. Don't know why I put that in my notes. Uh, anyway, I think it was a Chariots of Fire crossover there. Iliad, Chariots of oh, Fire well, crossover, uh, possibly. Do you know what? the reason? I'm sure that was a very clever joke. It wasn't. But I've never seen Chariots of Fire. It wasn't a, it wasn't a funny joke. It was me trying to get out of a pole. <laughs> See, I can't tell there whether you're doing chariots. Uh, now I can tell that you're doing. I wasn't sure whether you were doing a ch- chariots of fire or simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> Interesting fact, I think, from Chariots of Fire: the guy that plays uh, the Scottish runner, I think, was the first um, major celebrity to die of AIDS. Really? Yeah, he was. He was a gay Scottish actor, and he was one of the first uh, major celebrity stars of HIV. <sighs> Interesting fact there for you. That is an interesting and tragic fact. Chariot races became a popular sport in ancient Greece and they were a staple of the Olympic and Pythian Games. I'm not sure about the other two um, major Pan-Hellenic Games. In fact, a chariot race plays a major role in the mythical origins of the Olympics. And let's summarise it because it's quite silly. So King Onimaeus, so-called because he went around making the following noise. Onimaeus. 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as an onomatopoeia joke <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah which I thought was brilliant so Onimaeus I, yeah, I like that <laughs> was having a questionable relationship with his daughter Hippodamia so called because she looked like a hippo and she drove a Daimler lots of suitors yes. kept coming to the king asking for Hippodamia's big fat hands in marriage but he kept Asking for the keys to her executive car. (laughs) But he kept challenging them to a chariot race. The winner gets Hippodamia. The loser dies. And many men die. Then along comes Pelops. Not an onomatopoeic name, but if it were, it would be because Pelops (laughs) likes to poo off a diving board. Yes, or Polyps, possibly. (laughs) So named because of the lumps in his throat. Yeah, because of the lumps (laughs) up his bottom. Uh, Polyps, uh, with the help of Poseidon, wins, takes Hippodamia, kills King Onimaeus, and founds the Olympic Games to celebrate. Whoa, 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 whoa there. A little bit of rewind necessary. How does the god of the sea help a man with a land-based chariot well, you race? you see, Poseidon and Pelops were lovers. Ooh, That doesn't yeah. help. Okay. Ooh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it certainly helps. 
But what does a god whose powers mostly reside in the domain of the aquatic, watery and wet, how does he help a man win a chariot race powered by horses, famously an animal of the land? I seem to remember, he. I think it was horses that he gives him. He gives him special horses for his chariot. But if you some, like... Some, some tiny little seahorses. Some seahorses. They're going to go up and down. <laughs> super fast seahorses. So chariot racing also figures in Roman myth. Romulus distracted local tribesmen with a chariot race whilst his men pinched the Sabine women and made them their wives. You're my wife now. Oh, distracted them by balancing a chariot on his chin. <laughs> yeah. Eh, watch is it. I'm a time-travelling Frenchman. Interestingly, <laughs> the growth of chariot racing as a sport coincided, really, with the waning of its significance in warfare as a result of the development of cavalry. Uh warfare in the ancient world so a lot of cheap chariots came, cheap second-hand chariots came <laughs> yeah, on the market nothing to do military here, surplus. <laughs> what i've got here right genuine military chariot it's only done uh, it's only chopped off the legs of four ghouls it is yours mate for an absolute <laughs> steal absolute steal <laughs> no, too careful owners um, <laughs> yeah tell you what uh what, yeah okay all right full 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 tank of horse i'll get a full tank of horse when you buy it one bale of hay <laughs> I've been told there's a load of fucking Kelch up in, you know, Britannia, and they're going to still be racing these in fucking hundreds of years' times. Absolutely. The resale value on these, mate, absolutely through the roof. Absolutely through the roof. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for the Romans, the Circus Maximus in Rome was the home of chariot racing, and they were the main event of the Ludi Publici, the public games. And this venue, Circus Maximus, which is very well known, seated into the hundreds of thousands of spectators, far more than the Colosseum, which yes. was forty-five to 50,000, I think. A, pit- a pittance. Elton John wouldn't even play the Colosseum back in uh, the first century no, AD. No, no, Elton, no. He refused. Too small no. for me. Too small for me. Wouldn't do it. Neither would Cher. Cher wouldn't play the Colosseum. No. She did win three gladiatorial fights there, though. <laughs> savage. Absolutely savage. You after <laughs> death. <laughs> Do you believe in life after limbs? <laughs> and you can tell everybody <laughs> this is your spear here. It might not be very sharp, but it's stuck in your ear. ear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, far more than Colosseum. Uh, Constantinople also had a very large hippodrome, completed in 330 AD by Emperor it Constantine. Did. And Emperor Constantine also enlarged the Circus Maximus too, so he did like his horse racing, old uh, Emperor Constantine. Um, this hippodrome, incidentally, was very glamorous. It had an Egyptian obelisk, a tripod from the Oracle of Delphi, Ooh. and four bronze horses that Ooh. were looted during the Fourth Crusade, taken to Venice, and ah. used to decorate St Mark's uh, Cathedral. I think they're still there, aren't they? Or am I imagining that? Do they get melted down eventually? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think they are still decorating St Mark's Cathedral. And the Byzantines really did love their chariot racing. But back to Rome. So four to eight chariots usually took part in a seven-lap race around the Circus Maximus. These chariots had up to ten horses, although usually two, four, or six horses. And Diocles' monument also records his victories in three horse races, which I think was slightly rarer. Um, charities were grouped into four different factions, all funded and run by different groups of powerful Romans. In Diocles' time, these factions were the Reds, the Whites, the Blues and the Greens, and these factions were notoriously rowdy, and there are lots of references to chariot racing crowds and the factions in Roman literature. Quickly moving to Constantinople again in the Byzantines, these factions were the major reason for the Nica riots during the reign of Justinian. Which we've talked about in this podcast before. I think we have, yes. And the factions destroyed half of Constantinople in these riots and tens of thousands mm. of people were killed. That's really quite a riot. Yeah, all over some horses and yeah, a Yeah, all cart. over losing or winning, yeah. 
Racing was exceptionally dangerous, as you alluded to earlier, and it's fair to say that the prospect of violence, massive crashes, horrible injuries and deaths were actually a major part of the chariot racing appeal. Um, and let's be honest, that hasn't yes. really changed much, has it? People often watch motorsports, no. the crashes, and uh, killing yep. off beloved characters in movies, television series and books has always been a source of great drama. If you haven't watched it yet, Absolutely. Sean Beans gets his head chopped off. Yes, <laughs> in whatever he's appearing in in the years following this when you're watching <laughs> or listening. <laughs> if you're listening to this in 2025, whatever you're watching that has Sean Bean in it, he's about to die. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, head chopped off. Yeah, anyway, um, so charioteers often found themselves being dragged along by eight horses with the remnants of a smashed chariot around them. Think Ben-Hur, watch Ben-Hur. I did before yeah. recording this episode. It's very good. It, I think it is also reasonably accurate. Good, good, good research. I think the violence is reasonably accurate. The charioteers even carried little knives that they could use to cut themselves free from the reins when this happened. And the Roman charioteers were actually yeah. um, tied into the, to the chariot. They would really? actually have to cut themselves loose. I suppose it keeps you keeps you in round corners, but that sounds unbelievably dangerous. Oh, it is. It's, it's dreadfully dangerous. Some chariot races were even in teams, so you'd have two to three chariots from the same faction competing against two to three chariots from another faction. And much like professional road cycling, the teams would work for the strongest chariot. But unlike modern cycling, this involved blatant, dangerous blocking and obstructing of the opposition. Um, so ludicrously yes. dangerous. I don't think... I. I couldn't find out as opposed to just blocking of blood samples <laughs> i i couldn't see any evidence anywhere of those sort of dangerous hubcaps that there is in the ben Hur scene i don't think they existed but there was certainly a lot of aggressive mm. aggressive riding it's also worth pointing out these gladiators these charioteers like the gladiators were most often slaves who could if they were lucky be released from their slavery oh i thought they were independents i thought they were free because of the dangers and cost of of training and being involved yeah i, I assumed were... that as well oh, I, interesting i, I didn't realize they were free um, and there's another comparison that can be drawn here with modern sport where success as an athlete can be a ticket out of the lowest social strata yes the violence of chariot racing makes it all the more remarkable that diocles raced for 24 years and he wasn't uh, like for example a yeah. modern boxer who fought once or twice a year diocles raced 4257 times winning 1462 times that's 177 races per year. Wow. Or a race every two days. Wow, I mean, he must have spent half of his life travelling. I mean, obviously, there'll be some times where there's three or four races well, I in think a day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and I think... He must have spent his entire life I on the road. I think most of these races were in the Circus Maximus. So he was kind of the resident racer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he would have been associated stig, with one of the like. big factions. He was one of the most famous, race, uh, most famous charioteers. And, um, yeah, I think he, he raced maybe four or five times a day on a weekend perhaps uh, but it's a ridiculous amount of racing yeah and it's hard to believe that this guy never crashed or injured himself so he must have been quite the sight he was probably covered in scars and sort of bony lumps where broken oh bones yeah i imagine i imagine he must have crashed yeah a lot. yeah yeah <laughs> and um luckily though the romans had very advanced medicine Pliny the elder details how charioteer injuries were treated with wild boar dung collected in the spring and dried Ooh. And um, Emperor Nero Lovely. apparently had boar poo. I suppose you could make a cast out of that, couldn't you? You could you could set a set a bone with that and hold make a splint Possibly. out. Possibly of... it might be like a stake over. A... I mean, the Romans also had might blaster. Be like a stake think, over but... black eye, you know, a bit of wild pig poo in your on, on your face. Yes, yes. Um, Emperor absolutely. Nero apparently had boar poo mixed with ash and diluted to make a lovely tonic. 
um, that he hoped would make him a better mm. charioteer <laughs> yeah. and a lovely kisser. Excellent mm. with a with a uh, spiced yeah. gin. Mm. <laughs> um, Diocles's monument describes him as quote the greatest charioteer ever. And you really have to admire the details of his career that are on this monument. And I won't go into those details because they are rather boring. Just a list of races won and the prize purses. Uh, now, I do wonder whether Diocles was really the greatest charioteer ever or just the luckiest. Because this really does sound like throw eggs against a wall. Or more accurately, tie slaves <laughs> to a chariot to make them compete in a fucking dangerous chariot race situation. And I suspect Diocles, like most very successful sportsman was probably both probably statistically very lucky and also very talented very good at what he did so let's get on to the money how much did diocles earn so according to the monument it was okay 35 million should we drum roll 35 million 863,120 sesterces 20 really really finishes the number off yeah. it? <laughs> this is five times as much as the highest paid provincial governors at the time for the same time period it was enough to pay the entire roman army for a few months and enough to supply grain to the entire population wow. of rome for a year wow. and it is difficult obviously to accurately come up with a modern equivalent value for 35 million sesterces but people have tried and the range is boggling from the tens of millions of us dollars to the billions and I can't help but feel that some people have just pulled a figure out of their ass because there were quite a, a lot of random figures. Yeah, so I, th- so I think I got 35 million, but but obviously you saying much higher well, than that. Well, the figure of 15 billion US dollars is repeated quite often. So a really remarkable amount of money. However, because what we know about Diocles is limited to his, limited to his funerary monument, firstly, we don't know if this is total bollocks or not. And newsflash, it's not unusual for men yep. to exaggerate their sporting achievements. <laughs> um, assuming... Says Tom, who's never run a sub-20 uh, <laughs> sub minute 5K. No, I haven't. Not even you. Um, <laughs> 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 I'll see. Yeah, proof. Um, <laughs> assuming, assuming, assuming he did earn all this money, we don't know how he spent his money or whether he was free to do what he liked with the money or whether he actually received all that money in the first place. I can imagine that there were lots of people behind the scenes who took a cut of Diocles' prize money. Yes, manager's cuts. I mean, was he a freeman or was he a slave? Do we know? It doesn't say on the funerary monument. Sorry, inconvenient question. Yeah, so like the people who owned the horses, yeah, they would have probably wanted a cut, people who funded the team in the first place. Yep. Regardless, Diocles seemed to do really very well. Um, that is assuming that he didn't die horribly at the age of 42, unable to move because of his injuries, suffering from early onset of Alzheimer's, like Naughty's professional rugby players, yep. and covered in wild <laughs> boar dung. Yep. And so that's it. That That is Diocles, a rather <laughs> famous individual, but an interesting one. Very nice, Tom. Very nice. The real Ben-Hur. It is a good scene, that Ben-Hur scene. Pretty good. Really, I, I haven't seen it for a while. It's also... I need to, need to re-watch it. It's also it. kind of Easter-themed, isn't it? We're only a few weeks away from Easter. And it's a very good Easter film. Yeah, it's a few weeks behind yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is a very good scene. And it's probably, actually, even though it is very violent, I, I probably think it's not quite as, it's not quite as violent as the real thing. But it, it is good. Yeah. It is a good scene. <laughs> Should we think of a topic for next week? Did we not think up one? Uh, No, it's a public episode, so we're out of our two. We can do, um, for the next public one in two weeks' time, we can do... So I read uh, out the list. Was it Lucky Escapes? Was that the suggestion? Unexpected Journeys. 
Go on. Mythical creatures that turned out to be real, medical procedures, indigenous peoples, South America, non-European explorers, genocides, leaders' lives after being exiled, farms, farming, bull bears, weird lives of horror writers, origins and religions. Uh, I was drawn towards farming, actually. Farm. I thought Why farming could be bizarre. Farming? I was drawn towards the idea of an unexpected turnip. <laughs> farming, then. What are we doing next week for the patrons? I think we should do light. Okay, fine, we'll do light. Light for the patrons, farming for the public. Okay, light and then farming. Yes, and if you'd like to see you here, see here, the episode on light, then you can join us at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius because the next episode is going to be a Patreon exclusive. Otherwise, we'll see you in two weeks' time for an episode all about farming. In the meantime, have a lovely week, couple of weeks, everyone, and we will see you when we see you. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye-bye.